Morning, church. I know you're what you're thinking, Pastor Tim. You've gotten a little bit younger and way less attractive. I know. My name is uh, Josh Duncan. I got the privilege of being with your uh, students this weekend at D Now, um, and it was such a joy. Uh, so I just want to say thank you for having me, Pastor Tim. Thank you so much for um, allowing me to stand up here. And let me just say real quick. Um, it doesn't take long to be around Pastor Tim to know the humble shepherd that he is. Um, and so he is, uh, I know, a blessing to you all. Um, thank you, Drew, for having me, uh, for um, putting all of our crazy college memories to the side and believing that the Lord can change anyone. Okay, so thank you so much for that. Um, I just also want to just commend the students, man, for just going all in this weekend. You guys have a great group of students here at this church. Um, and so, man, that's right. Yeah. And the last group I want to praise is you guys as a church. Um, the way that you guys have uh, stepped up to serve. Uh, weekends like this take a lot of the church, right? From host homes to people helping with food to people serving in small groups. Thank you guys for doing that. Um, and also just, man, the way that this church obviously gives generously to make a weekend like this happen, man, that is such a blessing. So thank you guys for that. Um, tonight, uh, today we are going to be in Acts chapter 9, so if you want to start making your way to Acts chapter 9, uh, you can do that. Um, I know that you guys have been reading uh, on a reading plan, and so uh, Pastor Tim asked me to just preach through a passage that's in your reading plan this week, and so I was excited to get to, to do that. I do want to do a little bit of summary of Acts, just so we kind of know where we're, where we're coming to, set it in context. Last week, I know Pastor Tim preached out of Acts 2 and just laying this firm foundation that the church is built upon, right? And, and how, man, the Spirit came at Pentecost, and now there's, man, the, the, the people that are coming to know Jesus, that are being filled with the Holy Spirit, are devoting themselves, man, to the apostles' teaching, to prayers, all, all of this incredible stuff happening. Then we see in, in uh, Acts chapter 3, man, Peter and John, they go and they heal this guy outside the temple, and that makes people feel like, what's going on? And so they arrest them, and then they go get tried in Acts chapter 4. Um, and we see one of my favorite verses in Scripture, Acts 4.13, where he says, and they are uneducated common men, but they recognize that they had been with Jesus. Man, I want to be somebody that's recognized that is someone with Jesus, whether I used to be a fisherman or whatever. Um, and so then Acts chapter 5 comes, and Ananias and Sapphira, they take some stuff from the church, and they... God does some stuff with them. And uh, yeah, and then Acts chapter 6, we see some deacons come in um, and, and get placed as a part of the church. And then Acts 7, man, Acts 7, so incredible, where Stephen, um, he preaches this incredible sermon about how all of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus, this Messiah who has come. And they pick up bricks and they throw them at him and stone him to death. 
And then Acts chapter 8, we see this uh, scattering of believers, and it begins to push out into Judea and Samaria, and we see Philip come across, and he um, begins to preach, and revival begins to start happening. And that's where we find ourselves as we come to Acts chapter 9 today. And so before we dive into that, I just want to take a moment and pray and set our hearts in the right posture to hear from the Lord. So pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your word that is good. That it is life-giving. It is our, our, our bread that is satisfying. It is our living water. Thank you for your word. God, I pray that as we look at it this morning, God, that we would have ears to hear, hearts that would listen and obey your truth this morning. God, I pray that if anyone is far from you, God, that they've not seen you with spiritual eyes, God, I pray that you would open eyes this morning. God, that you would remove me and my words, God, that you would hide me behind your cross. Amen. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. That I might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This no in the Greek is an experiential knowledge. I want to get to know Christ. Church, this is the linchpin. It's the whole thing. It's the whole ballgame. It's the whole enchilada. The fact that Jesus invites us into a relationship with him. We get to know him and get to be fully known by him. I don't know what your background is. I don't know where you are with Jesus. You may have known Jesus for years, may, or you may be at this church for the first time. You may be coming with questions about Jesus. You may be coming with skepticism or even cynicism. I don't know, but I just want to say that the person that wrote the words that I just quoted to you, I want to know Christ, had already been following Christ for many, many years. You see, those that follow Jesus, they never stop chasing him. They never stop longing for him. And so as we come to the book of Acts today, we are gonna be looking at a turning point in this book. This is a huge moment. I cannot, oh, I can't express it enough. I'm not trying to, you know those people that try and exaggerate stuff? Like, man, that was the coldest day in the history of cold days, right? Was it really, really? Like, that was the worst joke. Actually, I heard the worst joke last night. Drew told it, okay? It's terrible. I'm just kidding. But like, this was a turning point in, I would say, all of human history, 
okay? Aside from the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, I would say that what we're about to read is a monumental point in history that changed human history, especially for us. So today we're looking at the guy that actually wrote half the New Testament. Have you ever heard these, these things? Love is patient. Love is kind. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That wasn't your own doing. It was a gift of God so that nobody can boast. You know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You know, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Amen. You know, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I could go on. If you've heard any of those things, then you've heard the words of Paul. The one who we're going to be looking at Today, the one that we will see this moment of transformation that Saul, Paul experienced by Jesus. And I want us to see this beautiful text through a very specific lens this morning. And that is that Jesus saved Paul with you in mind. God saved Paul to give you Hope. First Timothy 1, verses 15 and 16, which Paul writes, will set this lens up for us. Here's what, here's what Paul says. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost sinner. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I received mercy for this reason, that Jesus would display his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe. This is the reason. In other words, God had you in view when he saved Saul. That is an awesome thought. That is what it says. God saved Paul for your sake so that you would see incredible grace, divine mercy, perfect patience, and have courage and hope that your own salvation and the salvation of others is possible. So as we turn to Acts 9, which I've already told you to do, I know you're there. This is not, we need to realize, set it in the, in the perfect context, this is not the first time that we meet Saul in the book of Acts. The first time that we hear Saul in the book of Acts is actually chapter 7, verse 58. Remember I told you that Stephen preached this incredible message. They picked up bricks and they threw them at him until he died. But in verse 58 of chapter 7, it says, Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then you go down just a couple verses after that in chapter 8. says, Saul approved his execution. That was the execution of Stephen. 
And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. Entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Saul approving the execution of Stephen, the first Christian martyr on this side of Jesus. You guys know what the, what the thesis of Acts is? It's Acts 1.8. I'm sure that you have heard this before. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, my ambassadors in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Isn't it interesting that God used persecution by Saul and his people that were following him to scatter his followers and by that accomplishing the very task that he gave them. You see, they were scattered into Judea and Samaria. It's interesting. So this is Saul, persecutor of the early Christians as we come to Acts 9 verses 1 through 9. But Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. The first point that I want us to see this morning is that Saul is a passionate Jew. Saul is a passionate Jew. It says in the very first verse, he was, he was breathing threats. The Greek actually says breathing in. And some translations that we have say breathing out. This is this idea that his very, the very air in his lungs, his life, he was seething in anger towards the church, towards these early believers. He was angry. It almost seems like he's crazy. Like, is this guy a psycho? Like, why is he so mad? I think some, one of the things that we don't understand is that many people, many Jewish followers, they would have seen Saul as completely justified in his passion against this movement. Completely justified. You see, in, in our American culture, we like to have this like hero and a villain, right? You know, like, 
the Marvel movies, they have heroes and they have villains. And we, we put them subconsciously, we put people into these categories. And so Saul, up until this point, he's in the villain category, right? Because Jesus is the hero category, okay? But we need to put ourselves in, in the text and into understanding that he was zealous for the law, the very law that God, Yahweh, gave to the Jewish people, okay? He was zealous for this. Saul was passionate about preserving what God was doing through the people of Israel, that's why he says in Philippians chapter three, verses five and six, I think it's gonna be on the screen. He says, listen, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was a Hebrew. He was saying that. Of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. That's why my name was Saul because Saul came through the tribe, the first king of Israel came through the tribe of Benjamin. He's saying, my name is Saul. Listen, my, my parents named me Saul for a reason, gave me that Hebrew name of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. I, I kept the law great. All 613, I was good at it. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Y'all understand, like, like, Paul was the Jew of Jew. He would have been believing in the same law that Moses believed in. I think sometimes we miss that. You see, this is what you would have seen from a Jewish Pharisee in the first century who was serious about practicing their faith. That's who Saul was. So Saul would have had many supporters. But why were they so upset with the, the church though? You see, these, these people who were calling themselves the way, you see, they weren't called Christians until Antioch. Okay, and so they're calling themselves the way, hearkening back to John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way. Very good. Okay, so people who were calling themselves the way, they were saying that this criminal who was crucified was the Messiah. And that is offensive to the Jewish people. No, no, no. Crucifixion, that is, that is degrading, our Messiah won't be crucified. Our Messiah will be a warrior king and he's gonna restore this place. Don't say that that guy was the Messiah. They even took it a step further. They're saying this guy wasn't just the Messiah. He's the son of God. That's blasphemous. This cannot continue. We must eradicate this type of thinking. That's who Saul was. It's really important to note here, Saul didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but he most certainly believed in Messiah. He most certainly believed that one who would come appointed and anointed by God would set things right for the people of Israel once and for all. So Saul, he was a passionate Jew. Point number two, Saul experiences a sudden work of divine grace. Saul experiences a sudden work of divine grace. You see, Jesus, he totally took over 
on the Damascus Road. He was not responding to anything that Saul had done to win his grace. There was nothing that Saul had done to earn God's grace, to earn his favor. That is the very definition of grace. Unmerited favor before God. This was completely sovereign. God ordained. This was completely free, completely unmerited, and it came with an overwhelming authority and an overwhelming power. The first way that we see this is that God causes a light to flash from heaven with blinding brightness. Y'all know that this is, this is, this conversion of Saul, this testimony is so important. It's actually three places in the book of Acts. So Pastor Tim, if I mess it up today, whenever you get to Acts 22 and Acts 26, you just fix it, okay? Thank you. And what we know from Acts 26, whenever Paul is telling this story, is that this happened at noon. He says it was around noon, it was around midday. And a light brighter than the sun is what he says. Brighter than the sun? Wow. That's what blinded Saul. A light blinds him. A blinding brightness. And Paul, Saul, is blind for three days. That is until a guy by the name of Ananias, not the same one from chapter 5, because he's dead now, but not, okay, so <laughs> in verse 17, Ananias comes, is sent, lays hands on Saul, and his blindness is taken away. So God blinded him and also took his blindness away. This was a powerful sign to Saul of the actual spiritual darkness that he was living in. I don't know where you're at today, but you may find yourself seeing and thinking that you believe. Sincerely believing. Saul sincerely believed in what he was living for. He was sincerely heading to stamp out this group that was blaspheming what he was about. He could see, but he was spiritually blind. And in his physical blindness, he got spiritual sight. And I wonder if that might be our story today. If it might be your story today. The second thing that we see in this divine uh, sudden work of grace is that we notice that this voice that speaks to Paul from heaven doesn't ask for, for, for Saul's decision to believe in him. It just tells him what to do, okay? That's what verses five and six tell us. It says, who are you, Lord? Not that he was acknowledging Jesus as Lord because he didn't know that it was Jesus, but he was very much acknowledging, well, ah, uh, this is the divine. Lord, Yahweh, is that you? 
And then Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Rise, enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. Jesus is seen here as completely authoritative. He means to have Saul in his service and there is no question that he will succeed in that mission to capture Saul's heart and set him on a course that will change human history. The third thing that we see is actually down in verses 15 and 16. Ananias is afraid to go pray for Saul, which I would be too. He's like, I've heard about this guy. He's killing people like me. Are you sure, God? Pretty much what he says. And God said this to Ananias. He said, go, he is a chosen instrument of mine. And then he tells him why. He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. See, Jesus chose Paul long before Paul ever chose Jesus. He says that in Galatians 1. Paul tells us that. He says that God had set him apart before he was born. And if you go read Ephesians in chapter one, Paul says, actually, before the foundation of the world, God set us apart. God chose us. You know, some have said that Saul was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians. And on his way, Jesus Christ arrested his heart. And he was never the same. The third point is that following Jesus cost Saul everything. Cost Saul everything. We've already read his, his little resume that he puts there in Philippians 3, right? Man, he was a Hebrew of Hebrew. He circumcised on the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin, zealous to persecuting Christians, a keeper of the law, a great Pharisee, righteous. That reputation, gone. No longer can he claim all of that. Everything that he had been living to, living for at that point will be changed in an instant. He can no longer claim these things as his boastings. Everything that he built up, all the reputation and the popularity and the people that were following him and laying things at his feet and honoring him because he was so great at what he was doing, that's done. His plan, crushed. There's no longer him gonna be going and arresting people and bringing them to Jerusalem and trying them against the way. Nope. He's not gonna be chasing people any longer. People will be chasing him. He lost everything. He lost his safety. He would no longer be safe. He would be lashed 39 times, multiple times, shipwrecked, thrown in prison, all for the sake of Jesus. He lost his safety. He lost his comfort. Any way that he could claim comfort was gone. He would go on traveling about sharing this message of Jesus, just like Jesus, who said, you know, foxes have dens. 
but I don't have a place to lay my head. That was the Jesus he was following. Paul was the same way. And ultimately, it cost him his life. He would die for this faith as well. But why? Why would Saul submit himself to do all of this? Why would he submit himself to this, to this Lord, to this, to this kind of uh, shifting of his life, to this kind of turning his life upside down, to this kind of persecution, not knowing where his life will take him, not knowing where comfort will come from, not knowing if he'll lose his life for this or not. Why would Saul commit himself to this? Because this encounter with Jesus as the very God of the universe and the savior of his soul, when he came to know that truth, when you come to know that truth, there is no turning back. There is no comparison. You know how Jesus described it? Jesus said, it's kind of like this. He says it in Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. A man found, and then he went and hid it. He covered it up. And then in his joy, he went and he sold everything so that he could buy that field. That's what a relationship with Jesus is like. That's what an encounter with Jesus' life is, is like. I'm leaving everything for this. Can I just tell you that Many of us, me as a follower of Jesus, my prayer is you as a follower of Jesus, many of us, this is our story. This is how we treasure Christ. That we can later say, like Paul did, I count all of this as loss, as rubbish, as garbage, at the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. See, guys, when you realize that Jesus is who he says he is, it will transform your life. Amen. My story isn't as dramatic as Saul's. It isn't as like sudden, whoa, bright light, blinding me. It's probably not your story either. It's probably not as dramatic. But there are moments there are moments in my life that I can look back and point at and say, God changed my life in that moment. Amen. I'm going to share one of them with you. And you actually know much about this story and you don't even know that you do. When I was in college in 2010, I got the opportunity to go to a place called Haiti to share the gospel. While on that trip, I didn't understand why God had me there. And at the very end of that trip, the truck that we were on got in a devastating truck accident, flipped over on its side. Many people injured, almost lost their life, including Drew's sister, Elisa, who many of you know. Pain, hurt, suffering, hardship. But it was that moment in my life that God would spur in me and say, Josh, you've been living like you're invincible. 
and I can take your life in an instant. How are you living your life 100% sold out for me right now? And it was as I looked back on that, that God started this journey over the next 18 to 20 months in my life where he flipped my life upside down and he called me into vocational ministry because of that, because I needed to be submitted to his lordship. My life was in a different trajectory. Yeah, I love Jesus. Yes, I was following him, but I was, I was on a different vocation, a different trajectory that would have never landed me here. But God had a different plan for my life. I wonder what are those moments in your life? What are those defining moments that you can look back on and say, that's when Jesus changed my life? You see, me meeting Jesus may not be as drastic as what Saul experienced may not be as dramatic as what he experienced. It wasn't for me and it may not be for you, but it is just as miraculous. You see, when God takes something dead and brings it back to life, that is miraculous. Amen. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2. He says this, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and in the mind were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is who you were, dead, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. He, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen. It may not be as dramatic, but it is just as miraculous. The fourth point is that Saul's conversion was for your sake. You see, God had you in view when he chose Saul and saved him by his divine grace. Like I read at the beginning, I'll read again, 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. I'm the foremost of sinners, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. The literal translation here is that the whole of his long suffering for an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. If you believe in Jesus for eternal life, or if you have yet to believe in Jesus for eternal life, Saul's conversion is for your sake. It is to make Christ's immense patience, immense long-suffering vivid for you. You see, Paul's life, Saul's life pre-Christ, it was a, a trial to Jesus. It was persecuting him. That's why Jesus says, why do you persecute me? Your life of unbelief and rebellion it's a persecution to me. 
But Saul had been set apart for God since before he was born. So all of his life, this abuse of God, this rebellion of God, this rejection of God, and this mockery of Jesus, the one who loved him, that is why Saul says his conversion is a brilliant demonstration of Jesus' patience. And it's to give us hope. That's what he offers us this morning. It was for our sake that Jesus did it this way. To show that the, his perfect patience, the whole of his long suffering to us so that we don't lose heart. So that we don't think he couldn't actually save us. So that we don't think that he is fully prone and gonna get us with his anger so that we don't think that we are too far gone. So that we don't think that our loved one has no hope. No, no. Jesus stepped in and saved Saul. He can redeem anyone. So here's how we're going to respond today. I'm going to ask you, if you'll just think about your life right now, I'm going to address three different kinds of people. The first person I want to talk to is the one who would say, you know what, I know I'm not a follower of Jesus. I know I don't believe in this Jesus. I, I, have, I, I have never said that I want to follow him. I am the skeptic. I am the cynic. Maybe I'm here for the first time. Whatever the enemy is saying to you, whatever is coming to your mind that says, I'm unforgivable or I don't need this, is a lie. Amen. Jesus wants to step into your life. Jesus is the one that hung on a cross to die in your place so that you might know him in a personal and a real way. The Bible says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. Is God calling you to do that today? The second person that I wanna address this morning is the churchgoer. You've been going to church maybe for a long time. You do the church thing because it's the right thing. Do you think that your eyes are open, but you're spiritually blind? Have you ever really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Are we really following Christ or are we just doing Christian things? Check the box, went to church. And the last person that I want to address today is the believer. And you've been struggling. You've been having difficulty in your life. 
Maybe you've been struggling with sin and you have guilt and shame over that. And I want to say the same thing to you that I said to the students last night, that you're not better at sin than Jesus is at grace. There's nothing that you can ever do that's going to discredit what he did on the cross. Run to him. Maybe there's horrible things that have been happening in your life. Pain and suffering and difficulty. And you're saying, why God? I don't get it. I understand. I've been in that place recently. And as I was thinking about Saul, I couldn't help but go to my very favorite things that he ever pinned down. It's in 2 Corinthians 4. And my prayer is that those that are suffering or are dealing with difficult things and they're wrestling with not knowing why God is doing this, that you would receive life from this. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, this treasure of Jesus in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are, we are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. I don't know why, God so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since you have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and we speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this is a light and momentary affliction that is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that we can see, but to the things that are unseen. For these things that we see, they're wasting away, they're transient, but the things that are unseen, they are eternal. Press in to Jesus. Whatever suffering and pain and difficulty that you're going through right now, it is light and momentary to eternity with your precious Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song and we're going to respond. I'm going to be down the front if you, if you need to respond in some kind of way. Again, I don't, I don't know which person you might identify with most. 
But whatever God is speaking into you right now, do not, do not wait. Respond in obedience to how Jesus is calling you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your redeeming power, the redeeming power of your cross that saved someone even like Saul who was out to kill people that were following you, out to stamp out this movement called the church and you arrested his heart. God, arrest our hearts this morning. If there's someone that has never confessed with their mouth, believed in their heart for salvation, God, I pray that they would do that today. I pray that you would open the eyes of the blind that think they may be seeing, but do not see spiritually. And I pray for the follower of you that has been depressed and hurt and in pain because of hardship and difficulty. God, I pray that they would look to you, the one who holds their eternity, that they would not hold on to this light momentary affliction but they would press into you, Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand to your feet, we will respond together.